especially for Katie and I this week, uh, actually Friday, uh, we said I do 16 years ago. And so, it was, yeah, thank you. Yep. Should be, you know, happy for Katie that she made it that long with me. So that's, uh, congratulate her. Um, but 16 years, which kind of is crazy because we were talking about this this week. In five years, we'll have been married as long as, that, as we were alive before we got married. Okay? So, like, we were 21 when we got married, you know, five years. You didn't do the math. But it was kind of weird to us because as we began to think back on our last 16 years, I, I said to my wife, I said, if we do the math, we've had four kids every four years. You know, and I'm like, okay, this is kind of weird, okay? But every, we've 16 years, we have four kids. Now, obviously, like, we don't have a 15-year-old natural born, but she's our adopted daughter. And, and so it kind of, you know, sways the numbers there a little bit, but... It's, it's amazing to see just how much, if you look at your life, how much over 16 years happens, right? And how much your life changes, okay? I remember, and you've kind of heard me talk about this a few times just with um, our son. I remember when Zeke was first born, and it was, uh, it was one of those moments that, I mean, you guys know, if you had the, your firstborn, it's one of those times where you just look at it and go, okay, life can't get any better, right? It's like all of a sudden this everything changes. Your life changes, and for some people, you like had ulcers, and you were in, this, you were in the hospital the same time your wife was having babies, but um, for some of us, it was that moment of like, wow, this is amazing. We get to be a part of someone's life. Like, we get to help mold and shape them, and, and I think sometimes we look at it and say, man, I've done a terrible job, and then other times you're like, yes, you know, you have one of those moments where a kid comes up to you and they tell you something that they did, or you see them doing something, and you're like, finally, they're paying attention, right? And it, like, I, I kind of look at it, we, we had Zeke, and then we had Selah, and then we adopted Kelkadon, and then we got surprised, and we had Hadley, and um, it, but that surprise is awesome, okay? And here's the thing I want to tell you, it's crazy when you look at kids and you look at just their development and everything, it's like, okay, Zeke you know, started walking a little bit after he's, like, one. Selah was, like, right before she was one. And then, like, Hadley is, like, four months before she's one. You know, so it's, like, it's amazing when you watch little kids watch other kids. It's, like, they want to be where they are. So they're, like, trying to figure out, okay, we got feet going this way, so let's try it, you know. And you just watch their kind of little brains try to figure it out, you know. But kids are pretty amazing. And it's, if we're, if we're honest, it's pretty amazing being a being a father or mother, you know? So I have, I have great kids. I have four great kids, and I love them a ton. Anybody that's been around us, you would know that. I would do anything for our kids. You're saying, why, why are you talking about this? Well, I'm trying to get bonus points on my kids, but secondly, I'm trying to get a point across. Because today, what we're going to look at is, if you want to, if you want to pull out the, your Bible in front of you, the, the scriptures will actually be on the thing. We're actually going to look at Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to look at the section of scripture where Jesus talks about ask, not, uh, ask seek, and not. But he sets this whole context up with this picture of what it means to be like an earthly father. And then he uses it to contrast what, what a good heavenly father is. And so this morning what I want to do is we're going to read through a couple passages of scriptures. And then we're going to talk about this. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who re- asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Next. 
Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, are, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Okay? As fun as it would be to our kid to come up and ask for a fish and give him a snake, you know, it, that's what Jesus is saying here is like, you're good enough, you're such a good father, you understand that that would be evil, Right? That if he comes and asks for bread, you give him stone. You're like, well, why did Jesus use those? Well, like in those days, what they said is that the bread, like in that time, there was a stone that looked just like bread. And so like it could easily be confused. And there was actually, the word snake in here is actually, it refers to like what we would know as an eel. Okay, if someone asked for a fish, you would give them an eel. And eating an eel um, in that culture, that heritage, it was a kind of a defiled like animal. You don't eat that. Okay. And so, like, Jesus is using these two examples to say, you're good enough that you would even go, no, I'm going to give him bread. I'm not going to give him a stone. Or, hey, here's a fish, you know, as much fun as it would be to put a, a snake in a box and then, ah, you know, like, that would be fun, but that's not who you are. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it in, in his translation of the message. He says, don't bargain with God. Be direct. Ask for what you need. This isn't a cat and mouse hide and seek game we're in. If your child asks for bread, do you trick him with the sawdust? If he asks for a fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? As bad as you are, thank you, Jesus, um, you wouldn't think of such a thing. Or at least, you're at least decent to your own children. So don't you think that God who conceived you in love will be even better? So for this, this section of scripture, for, for me, for the longest time, has been one that's just really, like, maybe a little bit angry. Because I look at it and Jesus says, whoever asks, receive, and whoever seeks, finds, and whoever knocks, it's open. And this week, it's been really hard to go through this passage of scripture. Because there's many things that I've prayed, there's many things that I've asked for, there's many things that I've sought after, and there's many times that I've been really persistent because the knocking is kind of just, hey, I'm going to be persistent until you open the door type thing. As many times as I've done that, there's been many times that Jesus didn't open the door, and there's been many times that I didn't find him, and there's been many times that he didn't give me what I asked for. And I think sometimes we get lost in that instead of the times that he has answered and the times that he has been found and the times that he has given you what you asked for. And so today what I want to do is we're going to go over to um, Luke Um, chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. So if you want to look in there, you can. What's interesting about Matthew is Matthew takes, and Matthew's very organized in his gospel. He's very intentional in how he lays it out because he's writing to Jewish people, right? And, And they understand it. And so he's writing to them very methodically so that they begin to understand. But then you get to, um, Luke and Luke kind of just wants to tell the story. And he's telling the story to those who love Jesus, Right? And so Luke takes this Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and he kind of just, it's all over the place. So some people say, did Jesus really sit down and teach the disciples for that long period of time? Or was it like little times where Jesus had a teaching moment and he sat down and he began to teach? Or maybe there was two different occasions. Maybe he did do it that way, and then maybe he used other occasions where Luke was available and he, he taught like that. But Luke gives us kind of the same picture of what Jesus was talking about. And how he starts it is very interesting because he starts it with, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. 
So they, they were in a place where Jesus was praying, and then they saw Jesus praying, and they said, can you teach us how to do that? Because John, remember John the Baptist, he had all these disciples too. Well, he taught them how to pray. And so can you teach us what it looks like to pray as one of your disciples? And Jesus goes into what we, we've studied in the last few weeks, um, which we call the Lord's Prayer. And he said, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive our sins, and forgive everyone uh, who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, and I want you to pay attention to this, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine is on a journey and has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed, I can't get up and give you anything. Okay? So you've got to imagine, this wasn't like, hey, your friend comes up to your two-story, 3,000-square-foot home and goes, hey, you know, give me some bread. This is in the culture of that time where when that house was asleep, the house was asleep. Because you're in what probably most of us would have, like a size of our master bedroom or a bedroom, and you have everybody in your family in there sleeping. So once that door is locked and once that father or the head of the house begins to lay down, everybody else is down. And so if you have this friend that comes up and he starts knocking on the door and he's like, hey, I need to borrow some bread. Like all of a sudden, this is, this, there's some urgency to this. Because how many of you guys have kids? Okay. My wife is so adamant about when babies are sleeping that she doesn't want people knocking or ringing the doorbell. Like she taped over our doorbell, do not ring this doorbell. Because we have those kids in our neighborhood that sit there and go, ding, 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 and they just sit there and hit it. You're like, we know you're there, we're ignoring you, right? Or we're sitting there going, Zeke, that's yours. Selah, I don't want to play. Then go tell them, okay? But here's where it gets really bad, okay? We have a baby, right? And baby sleeping is very important, Correct? Because babies not sleeping, not getting sleep, are very crabby babies, right? And very crabby babies are not fun to be around. As cute as their little cheeks are, like, yeah. Their cheeks become, ah, you know, they're, you know, it's just scary what they become. But it's even more scary what their parents become, right? And so you've got to imagine with me for a minute, like, when Jesus is saying this up, he's speaking to a people that live in these kind of tight quarters and they understand this like if someone comes knocking once the door's closed once it's locked there's a chance that it's going to wake up the whole family and so jesus tells a story and he he continues on he says um i tell you even though he will not get up and give you bread because of your friendship yet because of your shameless audacity he will surely get up and give you as much as you need now what is he saying he's saying well most of the time i'm not going to get up and give you it but because you're about to wake my kids up, I'm going to silently tiptoe over each of them, you know, and I'm going to get to the door. I'm going to give you what you need because I don't want you to, like, bother the rest of the people in the house. And so Jesus says, he says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be open. Which of you, which of you fathers... If your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake instead. Sound familiar? Or if it asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion. Okay, so he gives us another picture. Or, um, he says this, If you then, 
though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? There's something that we need to see in these three different examples of Scripture. Now, they're all the same. They're teaching that Jesus gave. But what we see is we must be constant in our prayer. We must be constant in our praying. So what we're praying for, what we're asking for, there's this picture of keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking, right? Because there's something here that if we can understand this, then we're going to begin to see the gentleman get up and give us what we need type thing. He's saying if you're persistent enough, if you're audacious enough, you're going to begin to see that what you're asking for will be granted. Now, this isn't like some genie in the bottle thing, but it's, it's this thing that says, no, we must be constant in our praying. So many times as believers, I think we kind of just pray for something and then we forget about it, right? But Jesus says, if you can go to that next, next slide and the next one there. He says this, he says, ask. And ask implies humility and awareness of one's need. And what was the very beginning that Jesus taught Matthew 5? He said, blessed are those who are poor in what? Spirit. He's saying, blessed are you when you have this great need because you are, as Eugene Peterson puts it in the message, spiritually bankrupt. He said this asking needs to come out of this place of like complete dependence, out of this place of completely not having anything. But it's just, it's not enough to stop there. But here's what he says, and I want to read you a couple of passages of scripture. James 1, 2, 3, it says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, listen to this, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such person is a double-minded, unstable in all they do. He's saying, ask. If you ask something, ask, but do it in faith and don't doubt. Because when we doubt, it's like that boat that's getting rocked all over the place, that can't keep one course, that is... It's like that person who's double-minded. Hey, does one thing, and then the next time he's doing something else. His life doesn't match up. John 15, Jesus says this to the disciples when he's talking about um, him going away. And he says, if you, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. We've used this verse many times. For, for apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and wither. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask anything you want. And it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are true disciples. And this brings glory to my Father. Now here's the thing about this passage of Scripture. One friend of mine this week who's in our pastor said to me, he goes... What if what Jesus is talking about is this vine and branches thing? What if we looked at that through the life of our prayer that we pray? He said, I challenge people in my church to say, if you're not receiving the answers to the prayers that you're praying, maybe it's because you're not remaining in him. Maybe it's because you're not at the place or in the place that you're supposed to be. And so the fruit that comes from it, the things that will come of it, 
aren't going to be there because you're praying out of the wrong place. We talked about it in the, the whole series, Who Do You Think You Are? When we talked about being in Christ. When we're in Christ, we can begin to pray. We begin to pray different ways because we are in Christ. That's our identity. That's who we are according to God. And so he says, anybody who asks will receive when we remain in him. He says, you can ask anything. Why does Jesus keep using all these different things and keep telling us, ask, ask? You're like, I'm asking. Now, I ask maybe like this week and then like three weeks from now, but I ask, right? And he says, it's not just enough to ask, you also need to seek. And seek is this acting, right? It's acting out on your asking. It implies earnest petitioning, but alone is not sufficient. So we can seek after, but if we don't know what we're seeking after, it doesn't mean anything. So we've got to seek after something, right? Jeremiah 29, 11. We, a lot of us know this, especially if you've been around the church. It says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And now here's the beauty of this passage of scripture. How many know the next verse? Not many, because we've, we've memorized this verse, but we, we kind of forget the verses that follow. But the verses that are follow are really powerful in understanding what it, what it really means, what this verse really means. And it simply says this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with what? With all your heart. And I will be what? Found by you, declares the Lord. He says, so I have a plan, I have all this stuff, but I'm waiting for you to seek after me. How many of you guys have ever played hide-and-seek? Okay, we had, uh, we had a crazy game of tear-my-house-down hide-and-seek last night between my kids and their friends. Um, and so I was just praying my house would still be standing at the end of it. But it was funny because the two girls, Sale and her friend, were the ones trying to find, right? And then Zeke and his friend were the ones hiding. And so, I mean, it was going on probably for at least 10 minutes. And Katie looks at me and goes, do you know where Zeke and Caesar are? And I'm like, nope. And I'm like, I think they're downstairs. And they're like, no. And Selah and um, Ada are just running all over the house trying to find them. They're like, we can't find them. I'm like, I think they're in the basement. Okay. <sighs> no, they're not down there. We tore the whole basement apart, right? And I'm like, well, I don't know where they're at. But it's food time anyways. So... Zeke, it's time to eat. That's not me, that was Selah. And so all of a sudden they come walking out and we're like, where in the heck were you guys? We were hiding in small spaces. Like, where were you hiding? We were hiding so they couldn't find us. I, you did a good job. I don't know where you were hiding, but you did a good job. And I think sometimes we, we look at that and we go, that's what God's doing to me. God's inviting me into this game of hide and seek. And like, He's like found the best hiding space and it's not even in this universe. So I can't find him, right? And yet God is more like a good father who when you go, unless you're like me, I'm, I'm not the good father when it comes to hide and seek. I like hiding in places they can't find me. And then when you hear him go, and they start walking by you, you go, rah, you know, my kid. Yeah, that's, that's how messed up I am. But, um, but the point is, is this. God's a father who is like that guy that plays hide-and-seek with the little kid, but you, like, leave your leg out the side of the couch so, like, they see the leg, 
That would be freaky as you'd come in that leg. It's not attached to anything. But anyways, that's my brain too. Um, but it's like he hides in like sight for you to be able to find him. And that's kind of what the picture of this verse is. You seek me, I'll guarantee you're going to find me. But the problem is that we don't really like the work of having to seek. Hebrews 11.6 says this. And we've talked about this earlier. But, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is God. And that he is the rewarder of those who what? Diligently seek him. Okay, diligently doesn't mean like, hey, I did it last year and now I'm going to do it this year. It means like day in, day out, minute after minute, hour after hour, we're diligently seeking after. Because we're that desperate for God to answer. Because we're that desperate for him to be who he's supposed to be. There's this guy who um, wrote this quote, and I wanted to read it to you. Or not quote, there's a question that he wrote. He says, do the things I pray most passionately and persistently for reflect what God is most concerned about? Because I was reading something this week and it, it said something very interesting to have me start thinking a little bit. How many times has a prayer that we've prayed really been a snake? And God's going, you're asking for fish, or you're asking for a snake and I want to give you a fish. And how many times have we prayed for stones not realizing that we, what we wanted was bread? And God gives us the bread. I think there's many times that we see things in our life and we look at things and we go, this possibly can't be God. And God's going, no, it's exactly she wants to play. Um, and so here's the thing. A lot of times we ask God for things and he goes to give them to us and he gives them to us, yet we don't see him as an answer. Because it's not what we wanted. And God said, well, that's what you asked for. No, I wanted, I wanted this. I, I gave you what you needed. You asked for this, but here's the thing. I'm, I'm a good father and so I'll give you what you, you need. You're asking for this, but I know the heart of your asking. Your heart of your asking is, you really need this, so I'm going to give you this. You just see it as, if I just have this, then this will make me happy. And God's going, no, it's not going to work. Think of how many times we do it in things. God, if you just give me this brand new car, then I'd be so happy. Right? But in the heart of this, we're, we're praying really for joy. And God brings a little kid by you. And it completely changes your world because what you see is joy is not found in a vehicle that rusts. The joy might be found in just the little smile of an innocent kid. Right? There's a, um, there's a quote by a guy named Kent Hughes, and he said this. He said, we naturally preserve in our prayers when someone close to us is sick. If one of our children becomes ill, we pray without ceasing. Likewise, if we are in financial trouble or if we are hoping for a promotion or if we have a frightening, dangerous task ahead of us, we generally find it easy to pray. How many would agree with that? Okay, next part. But do we persist in prayers for spiritual growth for ourselves or for others? Do we ask, seek, knock for a pure mind? Do we keep on knocking for a forgiving spirit or for the removal of an angry or critical spirit? 
I think that Christians usually do not. Consider what would happen if God's people understood what Christ is saying here and put it into work. It's easy to pray for the big things, right? But it's harder to be persistent in our prayers for God to remove that angry spirit. It's hard for us to pray that God would change our hearts or change other people's hearts. Because we think, yeah, we'll just pray it once and be good. But no, it's a persistence. That's why I love Tuesdays. Because Tuesdays begin, begin to be something for our church and for those that are being a part. If you're not doing the fasting thing, I encourage you. We fast from Monday nights to Tuesday night, from sundown to sundown. Now it's a little harder because it's a long time. Um, but it's a consistent, it's a persistent thing. Like each and every week, there's a large group of us that are coming before God saying, God, would you answer this prayer? And here's the beauty of it. We continue to watch as God continues to meet the things that we ask for. And here's the beauty of it. Like what's ahead and what we're moving into is really good. But it's only good if God does the work he needs to do in each and every one of our hearts. And you know how that happens? It happens when we're persistent to pray for our heart and then pray for the hearts of other people. That they would give their whole hearts to God and let him do what he wants to do in their life. So, kind of what this looks like is this. What does it look like to knock? It's asking plus acting plus persevering. Knock is like, okay, here we go. Here's that, that neighbor that comes over and he's not going to give up till he gets the bread because he needs the bread because he has the visitors here and he's going to look really foolish if he doesn't have something to give him. How many times have you been that persistent with God to say, God, I'm not moving because I don't have anything to give what I need to give. I'm sitting here and I'm dealing with my kids and I don't know what to do unless you give me what I need to feed them. I can't, I, nothing's going to happen. And so we keep knocking, we keep asking, we keep praying for our, for our kids. We keep knocking, asking, praying that God would change our hearts so we have something to give out to those that we need to give out to. So that we have something that really helps us begin to see what God is wanting to do. And here's the thing. I think there's so many times I've prayed prayers for sickness, for illness, for all these things. And I've sat there and go, God, why haven't you answered and I think God looks at me and goes, I didn't really know you were that serious about it. And why would he say that? Well, probably because I only pray about it when I like, casually think about it or where it becomes uncomfortable to me. I think when you're in the midst of something, you begin to pray more wholehearted, more persistent about it. But when it doesn't affect you, I think we kind of just tend to push it off to the side. You see... Ephesians 6, 8 says this, it says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all God's people. He's saying, God's saying, I've given you the Holy Spirit. He said, begin to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. In the Spirit of the living Christ who lives in you, begin to pray for all people. And do it on every occasion you can. Because he's saying there's power in this. There's power when we begin to stand in the gap for those that are really hurting or really suffering. There's power when we begin to understand that there is a spiritual war that's happening all around us every day. And when we can take on that posture of continually asking God for these things, 
then we'll begin to watch and see what God does in a, in a realm that's not here. Because he begins to break the chains. He begins to break down the things that have a hold on our lives. Second thing we see is this. First thing is we must be constant in our prayers. The second thing is we must be confident in our praying. My kids know that I'm their father. They have no question of that. So think about this. My kids come confident to me all the time because I am who? Their father. And I what? I love them. And so when I come with that confidence before my father because I'm completely loved and I can begin to ask out of a heart that's confident in that love and secure in that love, then you begin to see things begin to change. Even the things that you begin to ask for, even the things you begin to pray for are different. And why are they different? Because God's got your heart. And once he has your heart, then the things that begin to flow out of your mouth are just the overflow of what he's doing inside of you. Goes back to what we talked about at the beginning. What's in you always comes out of you and shapes the world around you. When you come before him with this confidence and you come before him consistently, you're going to see God do things that you could have never, ever imagined. I love this story. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. If you could do, do me a favor real quick. We're almost done. Luke 18. Turn there real quick. Verses 35 through 43. Luke 18 is an interesting chapter because this is like the chapter of persistence. And so this week, I really want to encourage you, like, as some kind of homework, is to take some time this week and read through Luke 18. I love Luke 18 because it gives you, like, a persistence. It gives you, like, an understanding of God's kingdom in a way that I think so many times we miss. But wedged right in the middle of this chapter is this section where these disciples, these children are coming, and they're wanting to get close to Jesus and all this stuff, and the disciples are pushing them away, right? And what does Jesus do? He rebukes the disciples and says, no, 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 no. Let them come to me. Because unless you're like these kids, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. And I found it interesting this week that Jesus lumps that right in the middle of this. Because I think what we see in the life of kids is a persistence that we as adults wish we had with God. How many of you know your kids can be persistent when they want something? Okay? I've already got a list of every Lego every May, ever made for Christmas. Like, and that's a Christmas list. And my daughter's persistent. You got my list? Yes, I have your list. Am I good? Can I get that? We'll see, right? No, you don't need 50,000 Legos, okay? One of them's going to end up in Hadley's mouth and, you know, whatever. But, but they're persistent. And Jesus gives us a picture of this that follows right after because he has this run-in kind of with these people and this blind guy. And it says this in Matthew or sorry, Luke 18, verse 35. It says, As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. When he heard the noise of the crowd passing, he asked, What is happening? They told him Jesus, the Nazarene, was going by. So he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Right? He was trying to get Jesus' attention. He didn't know where he was. He just knew that he was somewhere in the, in the midst there. And people began to be going, shh, be quiet. Right? Be quiet. You're not showing respect. Be quiet. Right? 
How many times have we kind of done that with kids? You know, like, they're a little excited and they get loud and all that stuff. And we're like, shh. But the story tells that Jesus hears the man and he turns. And he sees the blind man there and he, he looks at him and he says, what do you want me to do for you? But I think what's interesting right before that is it said that Jesus came near to who? To him. He didn't answer him from a distance. He came near to him. When everybody else was wanting to push him away, when everybody was wanting to silence him, Jesus came near to him. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to Jesus, he says, I want to see. I want whatever's blocking this, I want it to come off so I can see what's happening. And Jesus said to him, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see and he followed Jesus, praising God. And all who saw it praised God too. You see, the persistence of this man ended up with him having vision. With him doing something he's never done before. With him being rid of this thing that had so much weight or had so much chains on him for so many, of his life, for so many years of his life. Where he was once blind, now he sees because Jesus spoke these words. And because he was persistent to keep asking, even when the crowds were saying, be quiet, he's not listening to you. And not only did he not just listen to him from a distance, he came near to him. I think there's power in this because if we understand this, I think God wants us to pray, but he wants us to pray with the passion of this blind guy. With the loudness, with the boldness, with the audacity that this blind guy prayed. And I think he wants us to understand it kind of through the eyes of a child. Because if there's one thing that we know about kids, kids, like I said, are very persistent. And they don't give up on things very easy. It's not until they've been beaten down over the years of life that they begin to lack faith. And guess who usually does the beating down? The crowds. Parents. Tell you as a parent, it's one of the hardest things is not to steal the kid, our kid's like innocence or our kid's childhood, and just let him be who he is, even though it might be a little immature. It's very hard to not look at him and say, "Would you just please grow up?" Right? Because at some point we have this age where everybody determined that that's when we're supposed to grow up. And I would propose to you that I don't know if we were ever supposed to grow up. In faith. Because Jesus said something that was very true. He said, the kingdom of heaven, if you're not like one of these little children, you won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so there was something about their persistence. There was something about their humility. There was something about their innocence that Jesus wanted us to get. So I want to ask you a question in closing today. If Jesus was walking by, and if Jesus was present, what would you say? For some of you, would you even know that he's here? That's sad. That's really sad. But would you even know if he's here? And if you knew he was here, what would you be asking for? And if he asked you the question that he asked the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? What would you ask? What would you per be persistent in until he gave you what you asked for?
Today, I gave you that post-it note. I want you to pull it out for a minute. Because what we want to do in the next few moments, team, if you want to come and, and get ready to sing again, but I want to take the post-it note and I want us to ask that question, answer that question. And I want you to answer in a way that says, Jesus, this is what I want. If you would do this, this would be awesome. It could be like Kent Hughes said. Maybe it's for your heart. Maybe it's for that spirit of anger to be gone from your home or from your life. Maybe it's that God would remove an addiction that you have. Maybe it would be that you have a loved one that is just really ill or sick. That God would step in and do something amazing. But he's here today and he's asking you, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, ask. Ask at a place of humility. Seek, because you're going to find. And knock, because I want to see how persistent and how serious you are about it. And today, here's what I want to do. As the team sings this next song, could everybody write down their, their kind of prayer thing? And then what we're going to do is this. I'm trying to figure out how to logistically do this, but I think it'll work. There's a big wall behind you guys back there, right? You can put it on the, why don't we just all stick it on the glass? Kind of, this is kind of a response today. So when we're singing, everybody, I'm giving you time, so go ahead and write. You don't have to listen to me, okay? Go ahead and write. Because what we're going to do is this. When we start to sing, you're free. I want you to get up, and at some point, I want you to walk back, and I want you to stick your sticky note on that wall, the glass wall. Like, you can go outside. Don't try to, like, get in the back row and do it. But walk around the outsides. Stick your sticky note up there. And then what I'm asking you to do is this. I don't want anybody leaving without at least one sticky note. And it cannot be yours. Okay? I want you to take somebody else's. And then I want you to consistently and persistently, right, and confidently pray for that person this week. Now, here's the other thing. Would you be bold enough, transparent enough just to go, first name, Joe. So that there's a tangible, like, for, for me, I don't like, hey, can you just pray? Can you, God, can you do this for this person? And I don't even know who I'm praying for. But hey, God, can you do for Dwayne what he's asking this week? And put it in a place where you can consistently right? Pray for it throughout your day. Like, so whether it's like when you wake up in the morning, whether it's at lunch, whether it's in the evening or whether it's all those times, whatever it may be, can we like go, okay, God, we're, what your word says is what your word says. And so we want to see you actually do that. So we're going to be persistent and we're going to begin to ask God because God says, whoever asks, receives. Whoever seeks, finds, and whoever knocks, the doors open. And so we want to see all those things happen in the lives of the people in our church. And so today, very practical, very easy. Remember at the beginning, we wrote down something that we're grateful for, that we're thankful for. But also in the second part of that, we're saying, God, I need you to do this. For the blind man, it was the, the lack of vision. It was blindness. And then when God broke that away, he began to see God in a whole different way and began to see life a whole differently. 
What's your blindness today? And what are you asking God for? Let's pray. God, today, you're wanting to do something powerful. You're wanting to do something powerful in and through the lives of each and every person in this room. And so today, God, I ask that you would show up in a powerful way, the way that only you can, and that, God, you would answer. You would answer according to your will. And that, God, the people that are in this room would be committed to persistently come before you like a little child asking you again and again and again until you answer. And so, God, today, we trust you because your word says we can. And we come to you because you are an incredibly loving father who, in love, wants to give us a